Hello, and welcome to The Mummer's Farce, the podcast about the visual production of HBO's Game of Thrones. I'm Dan Solberg. And I'm Kate Barry. And today, we've got another pair of episodes from Season 2, but a lot of kind of new names in the production pipeline here. For Episode 3, called What is Dead May Never Die, we have director Alex Sakharov, and is written by Brian Cogman, who we have seen elsewhere, but not normally the writer. And then episode four, Garden of Bones, we have David Petrarca, who's another director we have not seen before, and written by Vanessa Taylor, who's a writer we have not had before as well. And the first solo writer du- writer duties from a female writer this time. We had previously in season one, Jane Espenson co-write an episode with the WB, but this is her first solo outing. So two episodes without the WB and writing duties here, and new directors. Yeah. I don't know that they seemed... The episodes, even though they had two different directors and two different writers, they didn't seem very different to me. Mm-hmm. I think I might not have known that they were directed by different people. Mm-hmm. I, it could be at this time that the show was going for a more cohesive look, that even if they had different directors, that they weren't they weren't putting too much of their own spin on it. Yeah, there wasn't anything like the season opener of this one, like mm-hmm. in terms of visual motifs and like, oh, this is really sort of like a particular style. I mean, both the episodes, they have plenty of stuff happening in them. Yeah. You know, it's not super action oriented, though. Even when there are moments where there would be action, we actually have like cuts away. Yeah, like, that's okay, pretty funny. Yeah, we're just not going to film this because that's the expensive stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a lot of politicking, but it's some of where the show is at its best and like politics and i mean there's also plenty of of cringe in here too especially in the Gets second one dark yeah <laughs> so yeah we've got we got a couple episodes here we're going to go through them in turn kate we want to give us a recap here of our first one episode three mm-hmm. so what's dead may never die starts out north of the wall craster kicks the night watch out of his home after john catches him sacrificing his son to the white walkers although they don't know that yet bran is having wolf dreams and talks to maester lewin about them in renly's camp cat arrives to talk to him and uh brienne fights and defeats loris for the right to be on renly's kingsguard also uh renly and marjorie are having difficulty consummating their marriage at pike balon and yara plan to attack the north and Theon decides to side with them and betray Rob, although it seems to cause him some inner turmoil. Tyrion figures out who his friends and enemies are on the small council. He has this pretty convoluted plan about telling each of Pycelle, Littlefinger, and Varys different potential matches for his niece, Marcella. And he ends up throwing Pycelle in a, in a black cell. And finally, Arya and the boys and men headed up to the wall are attacked by Lannisters, and Yorin and Lamy are killed, and everyone else is taken prisoner. She misidentifies Lamy as Gendry so that they'll stop looking for him. Yeah. And that's about it. Lamy Greenhands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the one, th- the one thing I noticed about that was, like, I know there's this association, like, Gendry's the one with the bullhead helm, so that's how they're able to trick them, but... These Lannister soldiers, I mean, I guess we go to find the next episode later. Not very bright. No. Like, they couldn't be like, does he really look like an armorer's apprentice? Like this right. scrawny little... Right, this 11-year-old. <laughs> no, there's a big difference, especially since no one seems to know anything about, like, dominant recessive traits. Mm-hmm. Because one of the reasons everyone knows that Gendry was Robert's son is because of his dark hair mm-hmm. and Lamy is blonde. 
but no one's paying that much attention. No one's paying attention, and uh, yeah, again, and they do. Tywin does finally arrive at Heron Hall next episode, and basically calls them all idiots. No, so. I I know we'll get there, but I've actually never been so relieved to see Tywin Lannister. I'm like, at least he, like, he's not wasteful. He may be cruel, yeah, but he's like, why is everyone so stupid? You're wasting all these good peasants. He's like, <laughs> our resources, please. Yeah, so like, I'm just like, thank goodness, Charles Dance is here to like stop the wastefulness. I know we're supposed to be, like, evil, but, like, we're trying to run a business here. Right. So I was just like, you're right. Um, he, uh, yeah. So I was glad to see him. Yeah. What a relief to see uh, Daddy Lannister. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we are, that, we are skipping ahead a little bit mm-hmm. a little bit there. I don't know. What, would you have any, like, kind of scenes that really stuck out to you in this episode any, or any uh, thing uh, that you felt like jumped out? There were um, a couple things. I imagine that the director's probably proud of himself for the POV direwolf tracking shot. Although, I I feel like it had already been spoiled. We've already sort of had a wolf dream where Bran in summer, like, looks into a a pond and we see that it's not Bran, it's Mm -hmm. the wolf. So... I think sometimes they think the audience is a lot dumber than it is because I'm like we we know, but they they do this this tracking shot that's done. It's a it's a little fuzzy and you hear the panting and mm-hmm. it's obviously at a at a dire wolf's height. Yeah. And so Bran inside the wolf follows people throughout Winterfell and then ends up waking Bran up and there's a sort of racking focus where you go from Summer mm-hmm. to Bran. It was fine. Maybe at the time it seemed really cool. Yeah. What did you think? Uh, you know, they didn't do as like heavy of vignetting and like as wide angle of a thing this time around. Mm-hmm. So it seemed a little bit more disguised. And I don't know. I kind of, I don't, I don't know why. I think they should have just stuck with the previous way they did. I thought that was fine. This way was a little too like the camera just seemed like a low camera. I don't know. Yeah. Like it was, it was, it was less of like wolf vision than yeah. I felt like we've seen before. And. I don't know what is gained by like fooling us about that. They they give us the parallel later and like the tracking shot didn't do a lot for me, but I did really like the back and forth reverse yeah. shot mainly because of the way that they framed the wolf has like its two eyes and then like it's such an extreme close up. It's just like almost these abstract shapes of like this weird sort of a funnel like shape where like, you don't see the nose but you see the snout go down yeah. and it's like, just kind of like eyes hanging there yeah. it's it's a weird like look for that animal and then the reverse shot of Bran sort of like wide-eyed and sweating I mean we've seen Bran do that a number of times now where he sort of wakes <laughs> up but I, I thought it, it worked well with the pairing with the wolf so I like I really like that shot but yeah. um, the tracking yeah 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 so that that seemed like something that we had seen before but I guess it is it is effective and if you're thinking about like, essentially, Bran's consciousness was like flipping back and forth between mm-hmm. being like, that's interesting, I guess. Yeah. Did you have anything either up at the wall or beyond the wall, I guess, or at Winterfell that you thought was interesting? Hmm. Beyond the wall and Winterfell, I don't think so. You know, I'm trying to flip through some of my stuff here. Most of my things are are further down south. Yeah. Um. No, I don't think I had too. I don't think I had too much up at the wall, except for maybe I didn't remember. Sam's gift to Gilly. Does Me, this come back? I, I really don't remember. I don't. It may come back this season or mm-hmm. in the third season, but I don't think it's. I don't think it's follow them. Mm-hmm. Also, it. I mean, is it a reference to Peter Pan with the thimble being the kiss? I, I mean, I guess it could be. I, and I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't remember it in the book either, honestly. Mm-hmm. So this may be I don't a, know an if invention. It is in the book. I'm not sure. And 
I guess it's like, what's something that Sam could have with him yeah. that Gilly could have? You know, I guess they're thinking of plausible things. And also, it's a signifier that, like, he had better time spending. He, like, he spent time with his mother. That was one of the reasons his father mm-hmm. hated him. But yeah, I didn't I didn't really remember the thimble. It wasn't meaningful to me. I could be wrong, but I want to say in the books, we don't have Sam's perspective on this yet. So like, huh. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I, I know we don't have Sam's perspective in the first book. This would be from the second book. And it's possible we do have Sam POV chapters, and maybe we just don't have this one, or I'm just forgetting. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I was also thinking that maybe the design of the thimble, this like white sort of ceramic-looking mm-hmm. thimble, kind of looked like the high tower. I don't know, from Old Town, oh, possibly. Maybe. Sure, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Or I, I didn't think it was ceramic. I thought it was probably bone, mm. so it's a literal ivory tower. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but... Yeah, so I don't I don't remember it coming back. It's not like she uses it to like kill a white walker no, later. <laughs> it doesn't seem of super significance or like maybe there's some point in time where she gives it back. I'm not even certain that it comes back into play though. It's just yeah. something that was like, Oh, Sam gave Gilly a gift of a thimble. Okay. Yeah. Did not remember that. No, I felt the same. <laughs> uh, that's pretty much what I had up there, <laughs> really. We don't spend a lot of time with John on either of these episodes. No. Or even really that much time in Winterfell either. It's it's all down south. Yeah. Danny doesn't show up in this episode at all. Yeah, nor Rob. Right? Yeah. So it's it's really focused. There's a lot of Renly. So mm-hmm. we can we can go to Renly's Sure. I think that's chronologically next. Yeah, we can go to Renly. This is we arrive well actually the transition from Winterfell to the camp I thought was pretty good because there's a conversation between Maester Lewin and Bran talking about sort of dispelling the myth of magic. Maester Lewin has tried all this stuff and it never sort of panned out for him. And he says, like, what boy doesn't wish for magical, for superpowers, right? And, you know, Bran wanted superpowers, but now he really just wants the power to walk and to sort of, like, be whole again. And then they have overlaid a little bit of the audio then from this battle coming in. It's like we go from, like, Bran's sort of having this internal moment of like desire and wanting and wishing that he could have realized his future of being a knight and everything and then transition to like this medieval times like sparring match here which is like everything that Bran could have wished for if you like this would be the perfect environment he wished he could sorry he wished he could excel at and then we meet Brienne and it's a great reveal for Brienne I was paying a lot of attention because every time we have like a new character a new setting I feel like pay attention to sort of the costuming and the mm-hmm. armor. How do we designate, like, this region? And Bran's armor, she changes it when Jamie gives her armor later. Mm-hmm. But for a while, she's got this, like, art deco, like... Sort of C-3PO bronze. A little bit. Like, <laughs> or, like, I also noticed her hair It was mm-hmm. styled in such a way that she looks very much like first season Jamie. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I... I'll have to pay attention mm-hmm. when they are introduced if they look so identical, but there may be more than one play on twinning with mm-hmm. Jamie that like he has Cersei as his twin, but Brienne may also be styled as a sort of Jamie twin in a mm-hmm. way that I didn't really notice the first time. I mean, I don't know. They've got a lot in common, but they may also be looking very mm-hmm. similar. Yeah, you, you said C-3PO. I guess I was thinking a little bit more like like Empire State Building. Sort oh. of like, um, which she's, you know, she's very tall, right? Mm-hmm. She's very intimidating. So I, I, I saw that parallel. But yes, yes. It's um, also, it's bright though. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. like a bright, okay. Well, it's like, yeah, it's like a pretty bright bronze. Yeah. I, I was just, for all the like, 
you know, the frivolity of this like southern joining of kingdoms and the mm-hmm. flowers and like the knights of flowers and summer summer lords or summer what is it knights of summer yeah. um you know I, I think renly is kind of like dour i don't know he's he's not as sort of regal and like charismatic seeming of in his dress as i feel like he's supposed to be i kind of want to see him a little bit more of like this mocking I mean, he gets a little bit when he finally does meet Stannis next episode, but still, like, it kind of feels like he's wearing a brown sack. Yeah. But you know who is bringing it with her clothes <laughs> is Marjorie yeah. Tyrell. <laughs> from, right from the get-go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, my, my favorite of her outfits probably ever comes in, in the second episode that we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. But the thing that she wears when, when Catelyn arrives and when, when Brienne and, and Loras are fighting, it's it's fine. It's, it's sort of regal. It shows a little bit of, of Cleave, but then the dress that she wears when she goes into Renly mm. is scandalous. It almost seems like a, I guess, I don't know if it, it, is it, I'd have to look again. I can't remember if it is the same gown, just sort of like undone a little bit. Yeah. I mean, or without, they without the pretty plunging. Da- like down to her belly button, yeah. really. So, which, I mean, I think gives maybe some of that frivolity and makes Marjorie seem like someone who uses her sexuality as a weapon. Mm. But considering whom she's married to, it's kind of misplaced. She's right. not going to seduce Renly. So I wonder, I'm, I'm interested in like what that says about her. I mean, it's trying to give us some sort of notion of who she is as a person, but it makes her seem like she doesn't really understand who she's dealing with. Or what she's, or like we're witnessing her kind of like coming to grips with it or something. Yeah. Right? Like, what has my father set me up with here? Like, right. <laughs> right. And yeah, we do have the scenes of essentially like, in Renly's bedchamber, tent, whatever, mm-hmm. he and Loras, well, Loras is upset because he, because Renly knighted Brienne, and it's sort of is throwing his own failure in his face, mm-hmm. Loras's failure in his face. And so he sort of scolds, sulks away, and Marjorie comes in, and, you know, it's, Renly's had a ton to drink, he's really not interested in Marjorie at all. No. And Marjorie's, yeah, she she kind of, I don't know, when, when Renly essentially turns his back in shame and sort of his own self-disappointment, she has this, I don't even know how I would describe this in, in audio, but she <laughs> He did like, a really good impression earlier of it. I know, and she does this like, she kind of does this kind of like slight smile. It's almost like she's resetting herself and she's about to like, it's almost like she's going to address like a child or something like that like who who she realized like all right speaking to you harshly isn't going to work Mm -hmm. let me try to be play nice here let me let me try to be like the friendly person and because you turned away for a second you have no uh what's this uh, object permanence (laughs) you will not realize that i have changed my expression entirely yeah yeah and she also says to him, I mean, because she offers a pretty perverse suggestion mm. that, that she invites her brother in and that they get started. And But she says, what she tells Renly that he should do whatever he needs to do. And that feels like advice that she takes for as mm. long as she lives, right? That if you want power, then like, whatever you need, doesn't really matter what it entails. Mm-hmm. But I will keep an eye on her clothes. I, uh, because in the sixth season, by the end, she is so modest and nunnish it's really a huge transition from from her season two clothes which are revealing yeah and i think we see that 
the garment that she wears in this, in the second episode here. I think we see that again sometime because I kept trying to get a good screenshot of it and like it's always kind of in the dark and I, I think it I, comes back though. I like it so much. It's amazing structured mm-hmm. cone that she's like her she's her whole upper body is encased in like a tornado. Mm-hmm. It is it is really cool and her hair's like down in it. I don't know. It it's, it's, it's like a sculpture. You know? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting dress. Probably deeply uncomfortable, but um, it looks awesome. Like walking as like a cup. Yeah, yeah. If she was like in a in a in a cup. Yeah. yeah. But it looks it looks awesome. Uh, we do have a decent amount of the Greyjoys in this episode as well. Yeah, uh, Theon and. You know, Theon continues to make these assumptions about like what his father would be willing to go along with that seems so misguided. It's like, come on, Theon, this is not this is not going to work. But finally, it does seem like he gets through to his father in some way by essentially shaming him, saying like, as much as you know, you uh, want to take everything, you gave me away, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, what would you expect? not my fault it's your fault that i'm this way yeah which seems that was a, that was a really good scene mm-hmm. um and with alfie allen just acting the heck out of it i did think it was sort of funny the we talk a lot about what the castles tell us about the people and what they're trying to telegraph <laughs> some of the wall hangings in mm-hmm. pike have actual like moss hanging from okay them, <laughs> which i was like Okay, that's. I mean, I understand what it's telling me, but I'm like, even even the Greyjoys might clear off the moss from the walls. <laughs> so. Maybe someone comes in and puts moss around. Yeah. Oh, you know, this is we're we're getting a little too clean in here. Yeah, it's getting a little dry. Yeah, let's moss it up a bit. Maybe some cobwebs or something. <laughs> so it was just it was funny when he 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 walks through a hallway and I'm like, what is that? Is that moss? <laughs> it was. Um, the shot where, and I think probably one of the more artsy shots of this episode would be where Theon ends up burning his letter to Rob. He writes mm-hmm. he writes a letter to Rob that's essentially going to be like, oh hey my you know I didn't I don't remember everything that was written. You can read it, but it's like uh you know my father's not going to go along with the plan. Here's I'm almost like warning Rob. I think yeah. of some of the things that are fa- that his father is up to. I think he might say like at least send some of your men back up yeah. north to protect the north. Mm-hmm. Yeah, protect Winterfell and all this kind of stuff. And so he ends up having this crisis of conscience. What do I do? And he ends up burning the letter. And as he's sitting there watching it burn, they have him isolated in the darkness. So they have all this stuff kind of in close up, and then. When he's actually sitting there watching it burning, he's very far away. He's basically like this small dot of light in a frame that is, I want to say, probably like 80, 90% just total darkness hmm. around him. So it's like he's visually isolated, and, and it's symbolic of the isolation that he's placing himself in, yeah. of being like not belonging to either of these groups that he trying, he's trying to belong to, and he ends up just sort of all on his own. Yeah. And he does, he gets rebaptized, which is something that we saw happen again in this most recent season that he sort of, he does it to himself right mm-hmm. after his battle where he beats the crap out of someone that he, he washes himself in seawater. And so, I've, I don't know, I felt like there were like a, a lot of nice bookends, like, mm-hmm. and they may do that, there may be 
it may be less a bookend and more a touchstone that they do every season and I guess I'll keep an eye on that but I don't know it was the sort of process of Theon trying to find some sort of balance between Greyjoy and Stark and in this season he's really bad at it and then Mm -hmm. in um, the seventh season the most recent one that maybe he's reaching a more healthy balance between Mm -hmm. the two I did want to say a little if we're gonna are you ready to go on from Pike I'm ready to go on from Pike okay I just have been noticing sort of symbols that people are associated with, especially with their wearing. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to mention that in King's Landing, I saw two things that I hadn't noticed before. Mm-hmm. Shay, is, who is sort of badgering Tyrion about not being able to go anywhere, and um, she was wearing a she wears a gold coin around her throat, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. I hadn't yeah, noticed. And, I hadn't noticed that either. And it could, be, it, it could be a Lannister thing, right? Because Lannisters are associated with gold, but it also may be Shay's own personal motivation money mm-hmm. um and then sansa she always wears the dragonfly necklace but she also had a butterfly wing ring oh excuse me a <laughs> she has a, a butterfly a, a butterfly <laughs> wing no she's got a butterfly ring mm-hmm. and then she's having dinner with cersei and Tommen and marcella and she's got her dragonfly and a butterfly in her hand and cersei calls her little dove the hound will call her little bird and in the, the next episode that we're going to talk about, someone talks about Joffrey as picking the wings off flies. Mm. And so I'm wondering if this is why Sansa is associated with winged things. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I can't really explain it. I don't know that there's something about... I mean, certainly little bird, little dove being caught in a gilded cage. That mm. makes sense. Yeah. But I don't know if I understand the association with butterflies and dragonflies, unless mm. it's just like girly things. But that seems kind of surface. Or just like uh, southern things of some sort. Like these would be things that maybe she would be kind of fascinated with. I mean, you know, she's in a kind of a different mode now. I guess maybe she's being forced to wear stuff that, you know. Yeah. But to look pretty. But that's the only thing I could come up with. Yeah. But there definitely seems to be association with her, at least at this period, and and flying things. And so Mm -hmm. then I didn't know if this was associated with Joffrey maybe maybe being the kind of guy who tortures insects and birds and picks the wings off things. i'll buy it I yeah like it. yeah so anyway i just note i noticed those things i was trying to pay special attention to like what symbols do they carry around them and it, those two women seem to be associated mm-hmm. with those things so there's there's a pretty unique in terms of like shot ordering and kind of narrative tricks the way that they frame Tyrion's ne- uh, not negotiations but the way that Tyrion's proposals mm-hmm. to the members of the small council yeah where essentially, like, during the duration of what seems to be, like, one cup of wine, he essentially talks to Pycelle, Varys, and Pitar about his three different plans for who to marry Marcella to. And it was a nice little trick. It's like, they don't, you know, they did a montage in the most recent season, mm-hmm. and I couldn't really think of another instance where they did a montage but this was an instance where the camera edit was very prominent. Yeah. In a way that it often isn't in this show. Right. Yeah. No, I liked that. Mm-hmm. It it had a sort of style and quickness that you're right, that it, the camera style is often lingering mm-hmm. and, and just sort of like fly on the wall in the series. But then this was this was really directing our attention and sort of compressing time in a way that doesn't yeah. happen. I don't know about... They change who he wants to marry Marcella to in the show. I can't remember who it is in the books. It is definitely not Theon Greyjoy is one of the <laughs> options. Because this is like, I, I could imagine, like, maybe Varys didn't bite on that one because he thought that, like, this guy can't be serious. 
Theon is gonna take away take out the the North from the inside. One guy. <laughs> yeah. Come on. That seems ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, and Varys does seem unconvinced. <laughs> and he's not even super upset afterwards once it's kind of been revealed. Batar is furious. Yeah. But he's like, oh, well played, Tyrion. I, almost like he saw the whole thing the whole time. Yeah. And you almost even wonder if, like, he was behind some sort of, like, actually telling Cersei what Pycelle knew or something. <laughs> it's not really ever clarified that that's not the case. And it very well could be, like, why else, why else would Varys not be upset? I don't know. Maybe he's behind something. Yeah, or he's busy thinking of what's going on in the East. Yeah. There are some... I like some of Cersei's internal conflict in this episode, the way that she sees Sansa and then the way that she sees Marcella and herself then too, right? She knows she has a history of essentially being sold away by her father to marry a king. And she knows Sansa is essentially in that same position, but... In fact, probably even worse, right? At least Robert Baratheon at the time was the victor and seemingly an honorable person and all this kind of stuff. And they had a lot of problems, but he wasn't a sadist. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they're at dinner here, and she essentially scolds Sansa for not answering Marcella's kind of prompt when she's spoken to. And there's a moment where when Sansa essentially, like, delivers her stock line about, like, I can't wait to marry Joffrey. He's my true love. <laughs> and she, like, looks at him and is, like, just for a, a, a split-second moment there, seems, like, very sympathetic. And is like, oh, God, I'm, I, I'm sorry. Like, I'm making you do this. Like, she's, there's, like, a brief glimpse of regret in, in the look that she gives. And then she turns around and she's, like, you know, very stern and, uh, says, like, I'm sure Sansa will do her duty, you mm-hmm. know, when, when the time comes. And that would seem like very, like, oh, I know this, I know how this story goes. Yeah. Um, but then later, when Tyrion has sort of negotiated Marcella away to Dorne, you know, she's absolutely furious. How can you do this? Like, you know, and Tyrion's like, this is what we have to do with princesses. This is what we have to do with women of noble birth here. This mm-hmm. is how it goes. And she's extremely upset and sort of lashes out and once it becomes that more personal that just that one step further to being more personal and to not just like seeing this happen to somebody else but seeing it happen to somebody else in a way that directly kind of hurts and affects her she lashes out yeah yeah her her affection for marcella marcella is clear throughout Mm -hmm. i mean we see what happens to the women who killed her like she really she really did love that girl (laughs) Mm mm-hmm and we get to see that the kids are like good kids once again. Like yeah. Marcella and Tommen, like they don't want Sansa to be hurt anymore. They like her, you know. They don't. They don't even like the idea that her brother Rob will be killed for mm-hmm. rebelling. Yeah. Like, no, they're they're sweeties. They're like we've been watching the show. We like him. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna marry that nice nurse. Yeah. Well, well that didn't go great. Well, but I guess we haven't gotten to that yet. But... <laughs> but speaking of what happens to daughters, the last. Are we? Are you ready to talk about Arya? Uh, we can talk about Arya. Uh, one, the, the, actually, the only thing I have actually really left in the sh- in the episode is there's a cool shot of Sansa looking in a mirror. We don't have a lot of mirror shots oh, in the yeah. show, and it's just kind of like what you would imagine to be some sort of medieval mirror. I actually don't know what kind of technology they had with with regard to that at the time, but you know, it's very kind of foggy, mm-hmm. and we have a a shot that's just a headshot of Sansa 
in in the mirror so the her reflection and it's you know she's she's dissolving she's fading away like she's essentially you know losing herself is how I, I took that metaphor to be like the more she kind of looks at it the less she even can recognize of herself yeah and Shay is now her new handmaid mm-hmm. so there's that but yeah but we all, we get more of that like still like snotty Sansa dynamic of like but also she seems to be like lashing out in her own way too right I, I we've I think you mentioned that Littlefinger did this for the last two episodes that for when someone feels powerless they hurt the people below them mm-hmm. and that seems to be what Sansa's doing yeah. right she just had this really awful dinner with the queen and then she gets this new handmaid and decides to insult her at the very least you could say well Sansa doesn't know better Batar's a grown-ass man <laughs> <laughs> that's true and knows better like has has had a wider experience Sansa is pretty limited mm-hmm. in many ways yeah but Arya but Arya not limited in experience unfortunately I sort of this is what I meant about bookends because she and Yorin and all the other guys who are headed up for the wall they're mostly sleeping but she can't she's she's sharpening needle and Yorin offers her a drink mm-hmm. and that really seems to um she she refuses mm-hmm. she says I don't like the taste and that seems to be responded to in this most recent season when Ed Sheeran and the others offer her a drink and mm-hmm. she like partakes. Mm-hmm. It's I don't know. It shows growth, I guess. At least she Yeah. I don't know. Is or, it just that she's old enough to drink? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess Yoren's saying like, Well, here you can't sleep. Here's what I do. You mm-hmm. know, that sort yeah. of thing. And maybe she's uh maybe that later on that's like she's grown comfortable with like her relationship with death and killing and all this kind of stuff or something. Yeah. Or feels most comfortable around sort of gruff older men. She's got a lot of these mentors, right? Yeah. And so, and even uh, when the Lannisters do attack, and Yorin, with a crossbow crossbow bolt to the chest, is able mm-hmm. to take down quite a few Lannister yeah. soldiers. And the way that they surrounded him and speared him from the back, it looks so much like Ned's fight with Jamie. Mm-hmm. And then also Sirio's fight, which in my heart, I'm still like, he's alive. But that's getting less and less likely. <laughs> they would have mentioned it by now. <laughs> he would have had a Benjin moment of like, hey, I'm here. Yeah. Oh, I died. Yeah, I, I really had hoped that he was still around. But yeah, so there's this sort of, that she's she's seen this before. This mm-hmm. is like, I guess she she wasn't there for the fight with Jamie and Ned. No, but she not. She was in the city. Yeah, and and but she was pretty close for for Sirio's at least mm-hmm. the fight, and so this is a scene that she's seen before. And I thought like she gets she kind of just her life really repeats itself yeah. in an unfortunate way. I forgot that this is how she learns how to build a kill list too. Yeah, Dorian essentially instructs her. Yeah, how to have a prayer of uh saying the names of your enemies so there's that so there's that (laughs) just Uh, a little program note there (laughs) and we'll also her needle is taken away by a soldier named poliver Mm -hmm. and poliver kills lami and i think it's next season she will meet him meet poliver again in in a in a really great way so i'm looking forward to that that's that's what i got for this one yeah all right, uh, so let's keep going to Garden of Bones. This was the title that neither of us uh, really knew the reference last time. Right. And I'm sure it is probably a reference from the books. I just can't recall it. Yeah. A lot of the I, Karth stuff. I... Yeah, I don't <laughs> remember that much. <laughs> so I can do a quick sort of uh, recap of what happens here. First of all, we've got Rob having some more victories out in the Westerlands meets his uh, future bride-to-be, Talisa, who's sort of a a nurse out in the field. 
helping his enemies, Rob's enemies. Joffrey tortures Sansa in the throne room by, with aid of Meryn Trant, is saved by Tyrion. Pitar meets with Renly and then also meets with Catelyn, trying to negotiate all manner of things. <laughs> and then Stannis meets with Renly, trying to negotiate some other manner of things. None of these things go particularly well, but uh, at least with Pitar's meeting with Catelyn, it seems like some seeds are planted there for potential Jamie release stuff. Arya arrives at Hall and witnesses a bunch of people being tortured and builds, starts building her kill list. Tywin arrives later and makes her his cupbearer. Daenerys arrives at Karth and is allowed entrance by some sort of sacred rite uh, by Zaro Zoandaxis. Tyrion ends up blackmailing Lancel because he's aware of that he that Lancel and Cersei have been sleeping together. And then Melisandre is brought to some creepy old gate and burrs a demon baby. She sure does. <laughs> and that's that's where we are. So really, uh, again, we don't have any of John. For Danny showing up this episode, we don't have too much of her either. It's a lot of what's happening in Renly's camp, mm-hmm. a little bit of what's happening up with Rob and some uh, other King's Landing business, more like kind of uh, Tyrion playing politics. And Joffrey being particularly True. horrible. True. And some Harrenhal torture. Uh, we open with a fart joke, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also fan service, because you've got two Lannister soldiers who are talking about a set, like their fantasy football league, mm-hmm. like who would they would want to fight with. Yeah. And um, that was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was it was a false like alarm that is like uh, you know the punchline being a fart joke. And then, oh, surprise, not actually a false alarm. It's Here's a dire the real wolf. thing. Yeah. Which, but the cut is very awkward. So you've, mm. got, you've got these two soldiers talking, fart joking, and then we see a, a clip of like a, just a brief shot of a Grey Wind and his gnashing yeah. teeth. And then black. Mm-hmm. And then the battle is over. And there are yeah. a bunch of dead in the field. Yeah, it's like Rob and like a, just a line of people. And they're like, okay, that tire wolf killed the guy. Let's go. And then fades away. And it's like, we should be seeing a title sequence. I was like, oh, is this where we get the title card? No, we already did the credits. Okay. All right. Yeah. So they took uh, the cheaper way and (laughs) and didn't show any of the battle. And it was, I mean, it's fine, but it's definitely definitely noticeable. It's noticeable that they did it again. Yeah. (laughs) We never really see, they're like, oh, Rob, he keeps winning victories. Does he though? What's, (laughs) do we have evidence of this? No. No. We only see the aftermath. Yeah. And speaking of awkward, the puppy dog eyes that Rob gives to Lisa as she is performing a gruesome amputation. It's great. I love it. You guys, I guess, are meant for each other because she is sawing a man's foot off. And he's like, who is that? He's holding the man down. Uh (laughs) He's just like, what a woman. (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's 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 like seeing the way that they try and build a relationship with John and Daenerys in the most recent season. It's like, well, this is how you do it. You've done it already. Yeah. Like, you exchange some looks. Like, the, the characters actually look at one another potentially longingly. Yeah. You know, you play a little bit of the kind of, she's not going to go for him at first. But then, she, you know, we know she does come around later. Yeah. And they see one another's perspectives I mean, on things. They and, disagree, like John and Danny. Yeah. But it's more... They actually show that they enjoy the disagreement. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, 
you might think that like some of the looks that Rob gives her, like it's ridiculous that it's happening at this point in time, but like who knows what turns Rob on, and like at least we get the feeling that he is turned on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That he's... There's no sense that like either the other two are like actually physically attracted to the other one, except for they keep they they talk. Uh, somebody else says like, "Well, no, how he keeps looking at you." Yeah. We're like, no, we don't. I, I didn't Nobody see that. knows that. Or it's not happening. Da- uh, Davos mentioning that. John's always looking at Daenerys's good heart. Yeah, but I'm like, I've never seen that happen. I don't think that's in the show. <laughs> so I at least appreciated this. Like, oh, they're consciously building a love narrative. You yeah. know, there is a romance in budding romance happening here. Even though I think fans of the books often point to Rob, the change about Rob's breaking his vows to the phrase that mm-hmm. in the show that it makes him seem extremely stupid mm, yeah. um, to do it. And where in the books, he does it, it's it's more obvious the way he's following after his father because he's mm. doing the honorable thing yeah. because he's already gotten the daughter of a lord pregnant. Mm-hmm. Or at least sleeps with her. I don't think she ever gets pregnant in the book. Oh. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But right, but has, has besmirched her honor. Yeah. And so in the book, he's doing it because, because he must, mm-hmm. because that's what honor dictates. Yeah. In the show... It's because he just loves it's an like, amputated oh, woman. Yeah, <laughs> saw that leg. <laughs> Wait, hold on, I can, I can incapacitate some other guys. Yeah, yeah. So, and I do not only. I mean, that was funny, but I also really love the design of the Silent Sisters. Yeah, that they're so. Um, Talisa is not the only one helping in the field. There's this religious order of women who don't speak, and they are were at, uh, act as nurses, and they are just. I mean. Their outfits make almost no sense. I can't. How do you actually do work when you've got two poles up your back and like and and you know? But but it looks really cool. Mm-hmm. And it's this. I love a world building detail that never gets explained. You mm-hmm. just like learn like that's a religious order that that's yeah. what they do. Like, and they look. They're we saw them in the first season, but they just are neat. Yeah, I don't even know if they. I don't remember any kind of physical descriptions about like a uniform or like or anything about them in the books either. But it is almost like they have like the medic signal right? yeah. the, like the red cross kind of flag almost on their back be like hey we're neutral here we're just trying to help people right yeah so that it's cool it was i was it was bloody i'm not great at watching amputations so i <laughs> uh <laughs> i was a little grossed out yeah but it's not the worst thing that happens in this episode mm-hmm. no it's not <laughs> there is heaps and heaps of torture scenes in this episode yeah of every variety you could say that this original this amputation one is a a form of torture in itself too but you know perhaps a little bit more necessary and well i mean in terms of talisa points out how perhaps this wasn't actually necessary but the battle anyway but the amputation right more so right because we cut to joffrey in the throne room staring like we we are given a shot of like we as the audience staring down the barrel of a crossbow with uh, Joffrey having that pointed at Sansa, which is like court has descended into a circus act of like torture and debauchery at this point, right. like, where no one does or no one does the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. That instead of the court being the height of chivalry and manners and honor, mm-hmm. it it is the opposite of those things. That you have Joffrey threatening Sansa, and then also a knight punching her in the stomach. Right. He's wearing an he his his fist is armored and he punches her in the stomach (laughs) yeah the stuff with joffrey this episode because he tortures sansa here he tortures roz and 
unnamed prostitute. Ross's co-worker <laughs> later, and it's just like nobody... Was it last episode? Was it the previous episode where we were talking about the the power is power line and, or no wait it's a uh, sorry it was the conversation with Varys and Tyrion was the one I was trying to think of yes where he says where does power reside it's with where people believe it resides he never actually answers that mm-hmm. riddle and which in some ways might make you believe his answer was oh if given a a cell sword is instructed to kill. These other three members of the group, you've got a king, a merchant, I think, and a... And a priest. Priest. Yeah. And they all instruct the sellsword to kill the other two. Who does he follow? Mm-hmm. He never actually gives an answer to that, but says, like, you know, it's it, power resides where people believe it is, which I guess you could say, like, technically, in any given circumstance, any one of those people could be the one who has the others killed. Yeah. And here, it's like, there's all these dudes with swords around... Anybody could stop Joffrey at any point in time. Like, there's no reason why somebody can't just be like, this king is no good. We can just get a new king. Like, everybody would be in agreement about this. But we believe that there's... They all believe that the king holds a certain power and is somehow untouchable. Yeah. But he also gives sadists like Marin Trant, like, Mm. I don't know. There is something to be said for leaders letting other people think their bad behavior is acceptable. True. That's true. Um, but, yeah. So he, he surrounds him. I mean, in the way that, like, Ramsey does the same thing, mm-hmm. I think, when we get to him, that, like, he finds other very scary people or, or makes them scary. Yeah. And, and Joffrey kind of does the same. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Oh, that, that's a good point about sort of Marin Trant being enabled. We see in later seasons, like, when he's in Braavos, like, he's... He's not just following orders. Like he, that's always his excuse. Yeah. Like, this is the king. The king I do, told me yeah. to do this. Yeah. I follow my directions. But like, it's clear like that in some backroom thing, he's telling Joffrey like, "Hey, if anything like this ever comes up, you know, give that duty to me." Like that's what it feels like. Yeah. I love hurting women. I love hurting. Women. <laughs> I'm a real creep. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we can talk about. I don't. I don't know. It, it's all. It's all pretty much. It kind of goes in, in a single flow. So. Joffrey is torturing Sansa, Tyrion intervenes, and then decides that the solution to all of this mm. is that uh, Joffrey is sexually frustrated. And yeah. so he brings the prostitutes to Joffrey, and then the result is really horrific. Right. That Joffrey, again with a crossbow pointed at them, forces Roz to beat and torture the other prostitute. Mm. And it is really rough. Yeah. Even, even Tyrion apparently is not like was not fully aware of just how low Joffrey will stoop to sort of get back at him for, like, what is essentially just kind of, like, slights, right? Like, yeah. he mocks him publicly, and so I'm going to kill the pe you know. Yeah. Yeah, although they don't... I can't remember. I think they both end up living. We. I think we see them in the next... I think we'll see them well, in the next Roz definitely does. At least for a while. Yeah. Uh, I think she might the other one might live too yeah 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 so So that was gross and reminded me of why a lot of especially my female friends hate this show (laughs) Um, but the transition which is kind of strange so the joffrey gives ross increasingly horrible instruments Mm -hmm. to beat the other woman with and ends up with a with a scepter with a stag head Mm -hmm. which is incredibly cruel. But then we go straight from that stag scepter to Renly's camp, which is just covered in stag things. And mm-hmm. so there's a, it, the transition is kind of a, a gruesome one mm-hmm. or a dark, like in a dark connotation. So 
I don't know. There was that. <laughs> yeah. Renly's in this, like, glorious kind of golden tent when Pitar arrives. I thought that Pitar's interactions with Renly and then with Marjorie were just so telling of, like, those characters. Like, Renly is, like, he's just not, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. He doesn't know how to play with Littlefinger. Yeah. And I think when Littlefinger then meets Marjorie, it's like, okay, you're playing the game. Yeah. Right? And so, like, his conversation with, with Renly ends with him essentially saying, like, hey, you can go about this one of two ways. We can either make an agreement here and you don't have to really fight the King's Landing. I can essentially make sure the doors are open or, you know, there can be a siege. And, like, Renly seems like he might be dumb enough to fall for this. Like, Pitar, we just saw how Pitar betrayed Ned with the same sort of deal. Right. And so he's going to potentially fall for that again. Marjorie, on the other hand, is very guarded, very much sticks to her guns. And even though Pitar keeps goading her with all of these, the rumors about Renly and Loras and all this kind of stuff, and that Marjorie and Renly perhaps have not consummated their marriage, that she just doesn't have any of it and just sort of plays her part and is like, I don't know, you know. Yeah. It was also nice, and something I'd sort of forgotten, like, Brienne is there. Mm-hmm. And so she gets to see Littlefinger. And and so there's a... She has more than just um, her experiences with Sansa in the later seasons mm-hmm. to dislike yeah. Littlefinger. And so I thought that was... She doesn't like him from the mm-hmm. beginning. And because he's awful, he's awful to Renly, whom yeah. she loves so much. And then Batar's talk with Catelyn, Batar is just following yeah. around with all these conversations. Yeah. And, uh, that one's also really strong. You know, we what's the cut though? There's a we actually go from Arya saying her prayers, and then we cut to Catelyn with just like the most like inner fury, like rage we we've seen her with. She's just like there, and it's it's Littlefinger sort of showing up at the tent. That that then when you see the the cut to, it's like that's why she's so furious because she is under the assumption. Correctly, that uh, Littlefinger betrayed Ned. Mm-hmm. Um, he sort of tries to talk himself out of it, and then goes to like something that he keeps going back to, which is like how much he has always loved her. He says that to everyone. Yeah, and it does seem it does seem like maybe it's sincere, but once he's refused, he turns it on and is like, "Okay, we're gonna play this way." You're not going to, like, you've refused me, you know? Because he even says, like, fate has given us this chance, Mm -hmm. as if, like, No, Ned's gone. We can finally get together. Right, right. And I think he's sincere. But, but yeah, you're right. That as soon as he realizes, like, no dice, man. Yeah. He totally flips Mm -hmm. tactics. And he's like, oh, yeah, we got Arya. Yeah. We got Arya and Sansa. They're both fine, but for how long? Yeah, for now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so... I think Catelyn is both, at times, swayed by the things Littlefinger has to say, but then, like, is able to guard herself in certain moments. Like, when he brings in Ned's bones, and Pitar is about to say something about, like, I know you don't believe me, but, you know, probably going to say something nice about how he respected Ned or something like Mm -hmm. that. She's like, no, like, there's no way that... Like I, I do not believe you in this regard. Yeah. Like you've, you've, you've showed me your hand with regard to that. Like the one moment of like your actual sincerity, I can tell that 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 that's going on here. And so she flat out refuses him. Yeah. Also, Renly is picks up an apple, and I think we could come up with 
several different kind of implications that just the apple was like a symbol, but I really thought this was maybe a reference to something from the books, which is where Renly is like eating peaches mm -hmm. all the time, which is again, this like kind of Southern decadence. Like I've got the resources and everything that's walk around eating peaches. And it's like, he, it's mocking to Stannis all the time. When, when they have that meeting with Stannis in the books, it's like, keeps offering like a peach and just like just sort of bites into it and he's just like so aloof um yeah. the the build up to their conversation in the books i guess with a lot of things is just given a little bit more time and space and so it feels a little bit more weighty um i don't know what did you think about some of that stuff yeah i think i mean they do especially the meeting between stannis and renly they do a pretty good job in a short period of time of sort of illustrating the differences between them mm -hmm. and but but yeah, it's fast, and, and we, we know, because it's not our first time watching, that Renly's not around for much longer. Mm -hmm. And so in, in the Game of Thrones way that if you haven't read the books, that you're sort of like, is this our main character? Mm -hmm. Is this who we're supposed to follow? That, I don't know, that it, it feels like they're, they're trying to keep the suspense going a little bit. Like, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Renly or Stannis who's mm -hmm. on, on the uh, Iron Throne? Yeah. But yeah, it gets, it gets a little shortchanged. And I think you're right that there's... And uh, especially since they made the choice to make Loras and Renly's relationship like we know, it, that, we know yeah. that it is, it is, it is, it is explicit that they might have been afraid, not oh God, to, not to play into stereotypes of him being sort of frivolous mm. and ostentatious. Yeah. That that might have felt like it was playing into a gay stereotype. Yeah, I and see that. So I, so I don't know if, like, I don't, I mean, I don't know that we lose a lot, and I don't like that those things may be exchanged, that they're like, mm. oh, you know, he's well, he's not to be taken seriously. You know, yeah. gay. Um, but um, but I wonder if maybe, if you're looking for some of more of that decadence, mm. that maybe they decided they should tone that down yeah, instead of it, that. so that it doesn't seem to be supporting the mm -hmm. stereotype. Yeah, because they do make uh, his sexuality very explicit in the show um in the books it's only ever like hinted at like vaguely a couple times by characters right right so i don't know that might have been that might have been part of what but either way renly doesn't have a f his sort of feeling or um a tone mm -hmm. it's less developed like we we talk about throne rooms we talk about costuming we talk about all sorts of things mm -hmm. and it's it's hard to define what his mode or vibe or whatever yeah. is. It, it just seems like he's in he's a weird sort of like middle of the road kind of character in mm -hmm. some ways. It's like he's yeah he's kind of like witty and aloof, but like not to the degree that Littlefinger is. And he's kind of like bold and uh, you know likes to make his own case for everything, but not quite as much as Robert is. And you know it's yeah. like he's just sort of in the middle a little bit like i don't know he's he's kind of hard to find the support for and it's mm -hmm. like the oh. only reason that he seems like he's got all this army is just because of his name and that he marries marjorie right and and he maybe because he's so middle of the road mm -hmm. that it's easy to throw your support behind him because stannis has surrounded himself with fanatics yeah so i mean and this is something they talk about and even renly sort of jokes about like oh i thought you I thought you had become a, a zealot, yeah. but now I just see like your your priestess is hot. Yeah, um, and he, he said something like, "You're rigid, and no fun, 
but not godly. Yeah. <laughs> like it's really yeah. it was that was a sick burn. <laughs> it was. But I also I really like the look of like Stannis. I mean, it's great to see the contrast, right? And the way that the con- the costuming and all this stuff plays into it. But like Stannis's crew, they look I don't know. They look like gothy and they're like dark and they I don't know. They're they're definitely like even though their numbers are much smaller and even in this little meeting there's like five of them and you know a big crew for Renly's crew they just something about them is like they're more than they seem I don't know yeah yeah and Melisandre has this they have this great line about like when they when Stannis leaves it's like I'm gonna win and I'll give you your position back I'll even make you my heir until I have a son of my own and then like it cuts to Melisandre who's like this gives this like winking look (laughs) like huh you where do you think the sun is coming from huh or I guess what's coming for you tonight. Yeah. Um, and that also is playing into the fact that in the show at this point, we don't know that Demon Baby is coming, and we assume Stan- that Melisandre is just going to have uh, an heir A human baby, baby. for Stannis. Yeah. yeah. So we can we should maybe go, even though uh, the, the Demon Baby's birth is mm-hmm. the finals sequence, we could talk about it now. Sure. So we finally get the Davos Knucklebone story. Mm-hmm. Another less, fewer mm-hmm. correction from Stannis. The first time we see that. We see just the, I don't know, the heights or depths of Melisandre's hubris. Mm-hmm. Because she has no iota of self-doubt. Yes. She says what he, she says that men are either absolutely good or absolutely bad. Mm-hmm. And he said, which are you? And she's like, good. <laughs> Obviously, I'm a champion of light and I'm, life. I'm a knight of sorts. Yeah, and a champion of light and life as she's about to give birth to a shadow demon killer. Assassin, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this... God, I just love hating on Melisandre. Melisandre, I, she's a great character. Hypocrite. Um, and to like, pair her with Davos, it's like Davos has such content for her. They play up this, like, that Davos is somehow attracted to her in this in this scene. I Again, I don't... I, don't I, don't, I didn't think so, but I think that just also has to do with her pride. Yeah. That she's like... Everyone wants to see yeah, him naked. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. he does watch in horror. I mean, her delivery is quite like it's yeah. a lot. Yeah. It's, it was it was more than I remember. Right. <laughs> but he like it is sort of interesting because he starts off very far away from her, and then maybe because they just wanted to do a close up, he ends up crawling pretty close to her mm. in order to be in the shot. Yeah. So maybe he was. Maybe he was. Maybe she has the sort of like magnetic energy. Certainly, the Brotherhood without banners thinks so. I think I remember them. Uh, Gendry and the others saying that they liked her a lot more than Arya yeah. because Arya's a girl. Yeah, I could see that. But yeah, Demon Baby. Demon Baby. I mean, this is like, uh, I guess other than, you know, we had the dragons being born last night. Like, as far as magic goes, this is the first time we've, well, no, it's it's the first time we've seen dark magic in Westeros, right? Yeah. Because we had some of the Miramaz Dur stuff mm-hmm. last season, and now we're seeing like, oh, it's it's over here too and i don't know it makes i mean we haven't seen the implications of this yet it's just like oh this is a creepy thing we don't know exactly what's going to happen but you know it 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 makes stannis and melisandre feel that much more dangerous and that much more sort of like they could really take over they could really be the thing i thought stannis was going to be sitting on the iron throne at some point actually in the show well it's interesting too because at least and it's hard for me to actually care that much about uh, laws of, su- of succession, yeah. right? Because um, I don't 
know that anyone has the God-given right to rule. <laughs> but he, he's actually in the right. right. And so it's weird that he goes to some of the most underhanded tactics. Like, he has sort of the fewest supporters. Mm-hmm. And so even though legally he's in the right, he has to do um, some pretty unorthodox things. Yeah. Speaking of unorthodox things, Heron Hall. Yeah. Just horrifying. <laughs> I had I had remembered this is there are a lot of torture scenes in this and the maybe the one that's most focused on is the strapping a rat in a bucket to someone's chest uh-huh. and then heating the bucket so then the rat tears through through them, them. Yeah. yeah so there was some of that yeah that happens yeah <laughs> yeah Arya I mean they do a I I like the depiction of Heron Hall is as kind of grim and foreboding as as it feels like in the in the books and. You don't necessarily, except for these kind of opening shots, I don't feel like you ever really get the scale of Harrenhal quite. It's always right. kind of like this one small mud pit, as opposed to the, essentially the largest castle grounds in the entire continent. Mm-hmm. But you kind of see it in some of these opening shots here, where they have you can see these huge towers in the background. But I often feel like it's, I mean, it, it's all about sort of Arya and Hot Pie and Gendry's sort of like in, enclosed perspective i guess for the rest of the time so it's it's not really about seeing the grand scale in the books they have a little bit more of uh, i guess once she becomes the cupbearer she has this too but like they they put them to work a little bit faster in the books mm-hmm. and aria's kind of running all over the place doing chores for the kitchen and all this kind of stuff yeah as i can't remember what's her what is she, what name does she go by there it's oh. not ari it's uh it's like it's, it's some just like dirt or so, yeah. <laughs> yeah something like dirt yeah yeah that pretty mud. much sums it up yeah her name is mud yeah i don't know what did you have anything uh for heron hall I, I didn't have too much except i like the shot where um she's sort of continuing to build her list and she's essentially in like this cage raining down they have this aerial shot where we sort of descend in as she's laying in essentially a muddy puddle mm-hmm. and recite starting to write recite the names after she's uh then learned what Paulover's name was. Right. Yeah. No, I liked that. And um, there is the cut between that and and Catelyn worrying for her, and mm, then and true. then Ar- and she's like, "Oh no, it's much worse than you could ever imagine." I, the whole red waist Carth thing uh-huh. struck me as so silly. This like, you've got the the thirteen uh-huh. who are dressed. Very ostentatiously, mm-hmm. but don't really talk. They look, they, I mean, in wearing sort of like theater costumes, it yeah. seemed. And then especially when Zarazanadexo says, I invoke Sumai. Like, it's just, it's so, it's, it feels nonsensical, right? It's yeah. like, it, I think the Karth storyline indulges some of the worst parts of fantasy. Mm. I don't know, that it just, it, it felt like it's all, well, the council has to do this, and then you know, yeah, it 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 felt silly, and it feels a little silly in the books too. It's very much. It feels like such like play acting, and it feels like we are at some sort of like Renaissance fair for performance. Yeah. The dialogue is very stilted, like the performances. I don't know when Zaro first comes out, like he almost does this like quick turn look where it's almost like, is it my line? Okay, uh, <laughs> all right, uh, <laughs> yeah. I invoke Sumai. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, it's uh, it's very stilted seeming, and you know I I don't know I think some of the aesthetics that they end up using in the city. I, the actor that plays that other merchant, I, he I, he's wonderfully over the top. Like, yeah, and it, he's like almost that character from the Princess Bride. Like you almost think he's going to say like inconceivable at some yeah, point. You know, yeah. like and there may be something. I mean, it may be 
maybe it's supposed to seem fake to us because mm. Karth is a place of fake people. Like, mm-hmm. there's the warlocks and how real are their visions. Yeah. And then, like, Zarzan and Dexos, it's all a mirage, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe it's a mirage in the desert. That it's supposed to seem like something is off about these yeah. people. But it definitely seems off. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I agree with you. That I, I could get on board with that. It, it does seem like a generous read. <laughs> <laughs> and also, both, and because I was paying attention to bugs, um, both mm-hmm. Zarzan and Dexos and the other merchant have these crystal beetles, mm-hmm. but they're the only ones who have them on their on their outfits that yeah. like cr- are climbing up their shoulder. I don't know if it means anything. Mm-hmm. I just noticed. Yeah, and it seems like now, like also two instances of language being used here. These like ethnic slurs that are being uh, leveraged against again. Uh, Zaro mentions the word savage in mm-hmm. relation to what a lot of people would call people like himself, mm-hmm. who's a summer islander, so he's very dark skinned, and then. Daenerys is taken aback at one point where Jorah refers to their group that they would be seen as a horde and she's like aghast she's like a horde like right. I don't want to be known as a horde you right. know right. which is what what all these other groups refer to the Dothraki as and so you get these maybe a little bit of a reality check I guess for for Danny that maybe the way that she's been thinking about these essentially like non-white ethnic groups now she's the the subject of that or the target of that kind of stuff. Now who's giving a generous read, Dan? I feel like Daenerys pays very little attention (laughs) to racial dynamics. I'm not saying she she picks it up. I'm saying it happens to her. Yeah, okay, all right. Um, And then I think the other thing we haven't talked about is the Lancel becoming Tyrion spy, which is a, a great... It's such a good. I love yeah, that scene. Yeah, it's back when Lancel was just like a malleable idiot kid mm-hmm. instead of a fanatic. He was much better. I like when he's like he's like stalking around and his like his regal little coat and everything. He's like I'm all done up. I got my hair going and yeah. It, and he's just so foppish and Tyrion just like is yeah this malleable little like ball of putty. It's like yeah. what can I make you do next? Yeah, and pretty he just much takes anything. Such glee in it. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's like, oh, you stay for a cup of wine. No, you don't have a cup. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I actually even took a screenshot of Tyrion when he does, like, make the turn. And he's like, you're going to tell me everything that Cersei's doing. And they've got him lit just very dramatically. Like, most of his face that we can see is, like, all in this shadow. And he's just, like, a serious Tyrion. And you could see how Lancel in his sort of lily-livered, you know, no backbone self would be very intimidated yeah. by that sort of thing. For both of these episodes, they made, they reminded me how much I missed old Tyrion mm-hmm. and how much season seven Tyrion can't do anything. No. <laughs> so I'm just like, you used to be good at this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. that was all, those are all my thoughts. Them's the episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that'll bring us to a close this time. If you have any emails, send us to them at themummersfarcepodcast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at mummersfarcepod, and our, you can find all of our podcasts at the mummersfarce.libson.com. We're on iTunes, Google Play, and all that. So, cool. yeah, maybe we'll get an email someday. I don't know. I have been checking. <laughs> no emails. Reach out, guys. Yeah. Well, until next time. Bye, Dan. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Later. <laughs>